not what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. The best place for Columbia College news. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about. They are calling for one Chicago. This is Chronicle Headlines. Welcome into today's program. I am your host, Blaze Mesa. On today's show, we will be discussing a Getz Theater reunion, Latino Fashion Week, and Doctors Without Borders. But first, Chicago will be hosting the CONCACAF Gold Cup Finals in 2019. The Gold Cup is the final match of the Confederation of the North, Central American, and Caribbean Association of Football. However, South America is not included in CONCACAF. Some see giving Chicago the nomination as part of the increased interest in soccer in the U.S. Uh, I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago, so the, the main sport at my school was basketball. And I still remember being like one of the few kids that liked soccer. So seeing how the sport has gone, you know, just a couple of kids taking the ball to like a full-blown soccer meeting in England, that's pretty awesome. That was Ismael Cuevas, a Pilsen resident and fan of soccer. Winners of the Gold Cup final usually qualify for the World Cup. Over to our next story, a job description for Columbia's provost was posted last week. The provost is slated to be hired next spring. Columbia is looking for an accomplished and progressive new provost, as reported by the Chronicle October 1st. President and CEO Dr. Kwang Woo Kim and Raquel Monroe, associate professor in the dance department, are co-chairs of the search committee. Student organization leaders will be included in the search committee for the new provost. Certain committee members signed confidentiality forms and were unable to speak to the Chronicle on the search process. However, the committee will soon begin to meet, said junior cinema arts and science major and president of Student Government Association, Jasmine Bryant. So Dr. Kim uh, sent me an email and asked me to be a part of the search committee, uh, and I joined about a month ago. So we have our first meeting coming up this October. Our top story this week is on the final month of the 7th Congressional District race. Incumbent Danny Davis was originally elected to the 7th District following the 1998 election and has been re-elected every campaign since. The 7th Congressional District reaches as far west as Bellwood, as far south as West Englewood, and as far north as the Loop and the Magnificent Mile. My experiences, my knowledge, my interaction with my constituents would say to me that I'm in a better position to represent them than my opponent would be. That was Congressman Danny Davis. Davis is being opposed by Craig Cameron, who previously worked as a construction project manager for Telecom. Cameron said his experience is managing people, money, and jobs prepares him as much as it could for Congress. Cameron also said his inexperience can be beneficial. I just feel that he's been in office a long time. I mean, I feel the, the city of Chicago, they need change. We, we need new blood in the city of Chicago for Congress or state of Illinois in general. Both candidates were asked how could they help college students. Davis is the co-chair of the Black Caucus's Education and Labor Task Force and works with multiple scholarship programs to help students pay for college. But there are so many students who just don't have the basic necessities of life. Cameron said his focus would be on loan forgiveness. Lower their, pay, uh, lower their um, interest on their student loans and the amount they pay back after so many years. Congressman Davis said a major part of his campaign for re-election is his work in reintegration 
Davis helped pass the Second Chance Act, which helps inmates reintegrate into society almost 10 years ago. Cameron said if he was elected, he would adjust taxes to help spur business growth. Part of his plan would include a tax-free zone or tax credits to give businesses moving into certain communities tax breaks. For additional coverage of the candidates and their plans for the 7th District, visit ColumbiaChronicle.com. You can vote in the midterm elections on November 6th at your nearest polling place or by mail. But we are shifting gears now, and in the studio, I have Molly Walsh and Alexandra Yetter with me. How's everyone doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Blaze. Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing. Got another podcast rolling back here on the airwaves of WCRX, or wherever you're listening to this, I suppose. But Columbia Theater alumni are coming back October 19th. And Molly, you ran point on this story, so... We have 200 alumni-ish, that's what's expected, coming back, and that's from the past 37 years? Yeah, so from the past 37 years in Columbia's theater department history, we're having um, and expecting 200 of the alumni to come back to uh, and come to the reunion. That's uh, going to be an entire weekend of networking and for people to connect again. So I got to write a story and uh, talk to some people about the reunion, and it just sounds really cool. Okay, so we're talking about networking and connections and mm-hmm. all that all that fancy stuff. Is this like a panel discussion or is it a networking event or is it like some big meeting and they're all in a room just mingling about? No, so actually, okay, so Getz Theater, um, if you don't know, it's been renovated and it's now a completely modernized theater with uh, four different performance spaces and uh, including the Courtyard Theater, which is uh, the biggest theater that they have. And so what's going to happen that weekend is they're going to have their first uh, performance on the stage of the Courtyard Theater in the Getz Theater Center. And uh, so that's going to be the first um, look at the new theater. This is the first performance taking place in the newly renovated space and they're performing the Penelope ad which is like the the woman's point of view of the Odyssey if anyone knows Greek mythology like that story behind it so uh, not only is it going to be a bunch of different panel panel discussions with different people in the industry from techies to actors and directors and thespians and critics but it's also going to be a chance to see a performance and connect with people so penelope ad penelope ad yes okay i I knew about the odyssey i didn't know they made the the flip side of it yeah it's by margaret atwood who if you're a literature fan um she wrote the handmaid's tale which is also now a really good show (laughs) and in case no one's freaking out about uh, mythology as much as I do. So Odysseus, <laughs> he got super lost for like eight years, slept with a couple people, no big deal, whatever. And then Penelope, his wife, was just chilling at home with like a hundred suitors. So it's her just doing yeah. her thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, uh, it's um, from what I've heard from some of the people that I've talked to in my story, it's, uh, well, it's a completely, it's an all-woman cast. Mm-hmm. And so it's 12 students in the cast. And uh, this was kind of, um, this was the story was picked from Jackie Jacqueline Penrod, who is the associate chair of the theater department and also kind of the artistic director. And so she picked the show because it kind of creates this theme of building a community. Um, and that's kind of what the main characters throughout the show do in the Penelope ad. Um, it's also, I think, uh, this is just my opinion on it, but it's uh, because it's an all-woman cast, uh, theater and also just show business is typically um, run by men. So uh, I think having an, an all a strong women leading cast um, just shows the broad representation in Columbia's theater department as well. Is the, so the the 
the thing being put on at the reunion, is that students or alumni? Or is so, it a mix? So it's students are going to be in the cast, mm-hmm. but uh, the production side of things, so it's directed by an alum. Um, oh, my God. I can't think of who I interviewed. What's her name? Is it? Hold on. I got some notes. AJ down. Ware. Boom. AJ Ware. There we go. AJ Ware is a theater alum from Columbia, so she's directing it, um, and as well as a bunch of the different people in the creative production side, like set design, uh, back, you know, backstage stuff uh, mm-hmm. is also all alum. So it's really cool to see this current population of Columbia students working with Columbia's past. Speaking of AJ Ware, we have a little bit of them talking about, um, I guess, what the reunion's going to be like and the old and the new and all that. So we can take a listen. Um, but, you know, sometimes theater itself can feel a bit dated. Um, and I think that it's going to, I hope that for alumni coming back, they'll see a very contemporary looking and feeling and sounding production that um, feels like a like it matches the space that has been built for the students. Again, that was AJ Ware, director of Penelopead. The Penelopead. Boom. And an alum of yes. Columbia. So there's going to be some fanciness at the at the new theater and you were a theater student once. Have you been in the Getz Theater? I've been in the Getz Theater Center. It's that's what's now called. It used to be just like the theater center. Um, I've been in there for you know when I had like when I was like uh, in the theater department, but I never performed anything there. I was only a theater student for like a semester, so a it didn't last. So I still well, like theater though. <laughs> but you were in there before it was renovated. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So have you, you've been in there after it's been? Oh renovated. my gosh! Yeah, it's so okay. much better. I know you wrote a story about it last semester, and yeah. at the risk of, of recounting that entire story. Uh, what were just, I, I guess, some changes? Oh, my God, it's insane. Uh, okay. th- this is, like, from... I'm going to lose all ethics as a journalist and say that, like, <laughs> it's so great. Like, it's so cool. Uh, so the, the the main theater is the Courtyard Theater, mm-hmm. and um, it's called a Courtyard because it's kind of, like, uh, not, like, in a round where it's, like, people are center and everyone else is, like, working around them. There's still kind of, like, this fourth wall to be broken. But um, the way it works out is that there's just there's just more space for the performers to work around. Uh, there's a backstage, which there wasn't in the old theater center, meaning, like, people really weren't able to, like, pass back and forth from stage left to stage right. Uh, there's also just better acoustics. And um, Professor Albert Williams, who's Associate Professor of Instruction, or Assistant... He's in the theater department. Associate Professor of Instruction in the theater department. Great, yeah. Albert Williams, he's a great guy. He um, was telling me a little bit about the history of the theater uh, itself. And it was originally built as a concert hall before Columbia bought the building. So... Um, in the past, you know, it was um, sound to be like an auto. It was like supposed to be set for audio, mm-hmm. but you know, as time passed, wear and tear. Overall, the theater just like it needed an upbringing to be, uh, you know, just a better theater center. And I think that they totally aced it. It's almost as if you were reading off of my notes here. We have a little bit of sound from Albert Williams, <laughs> the associate professor of instruction in the theater department. So let's hear what he has to say. Uh, so it's a chance to get the alumni to see what we, w- to celebrate, to use our history, to celebrate our history as a way of launching us into the 21st century. So that was Albert Williams. I'm not sure, uh, I, think, I think I've just about covered the whole thing with the the um, the alumni reunion. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else we're missing? I know reunions yeah, can be kind of Yeah, there's one really cool thing about the alumni reunion. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I mean, the one thing I feel like a lot of people like overlook with Columbia, specifically the theater department, is how many uh, active alum that we have in the city and across like the country. And so um, it's just a really cool opportunity to see like where people are now and where they started. Like a lot of people are working at like top theaters across the country and they're from Columbia. So I think that's really important for like the students to know. Um, but also like the one thing that I really like geeked out about was Jim Jacobs, who if you don't know, was the writer of Grease the Musical, like John Travolta, Grease the Musical, is going to be at the reunion. And so it's really cool because he's going to give a speech before uh, the Penelope ads opening night. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so. Not a theater guy. Yeah, what, what? I don't, I don't dislike theater. You I don't, just don't you, know much about it. Can you not do jazz hands? I'm doing them right now. Jazz oh. hands? Yeah, they're jazzy. I, they're jazzy. Can I get Can I get the perspective of the room? Alexandra, Molly, were they good jazz hands? They were adequate. Um. Okay, Molly, I don't think there is too much left here. I could do jazz hands all day, but that doesn't make for good radio. So uh, is it your time to go? I think so. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. That was Molly Walsh, managing editor at the Columbia Chronicle. Her story this week was on the Getz Theater reunion. You can pick that up. I think it's going to be in the print edition. Or go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. And now we're going to shift gears here. We have Alexandra Yetter, who has been sitting very patiently. And only <laughs> judge me for my jazz hands in about the last eight minutes. So, Alexandra, checking in, checking in on you once again. How you doing? I'm okay. A little tired. Yeah. A little tired? I'm a little tired, too. It's been... It's been a fun week, so to speak, mm, if that sure. if that makes any sense. But um, so you wrote a story, speaking of weeks, mm-hmm. about Latino Fashion Week, and it started 12 years ago. Does that that sound about right? Yeah, 12 years ago. Okay, so it will feature local designers and like a celebrity catwalk thing. Is that correct as well? Yeah. So the first day, they're featuring all local designers from Chicago. And one of the runways they do is going to feature some local TV anchors from NBC, Telemundo, and WGN. Hmm. And they're all going to be dressed by local designers. Okay, so so it's is it just like a catwalk? Is it just like a fashion show that they do all week? Or is there events? Or, or like what's going on here? So there's a fashion show on the first and third days. It's three days. And then there's also some networking opportunities, some art gallery viewings and stuff like that immersed in between. Oh, okay. So three days, networking, this, that, and the other. Okay, I think I got a, a bit of a hold on it now, but Chicago designer Hector Martel said Latino Fashion Week provides opportunities to showcase Latino designer skills. People like me, sorry, people of color like me, don't get invited to those events. Um, I don't have those active in me, so I'd have been provides an output for me to do that so i know it says you know latino fashion week and we just heard hector martel talk about how it it can kind of show people that you know any latino designers are as good as any other ethnicity Mm -hmm. and that they can do what needs to be done but is it just specifically people from spanish-speaking slash latino countries no their whole thing is it's by latinos for everyone so there are a lot of Latino designers from Latin American countries, but it's also um, a few, like for models, there's some Chinese models, some Ukrainian models, and there's also um, one of the designers I spoke to, he's American, he's white, and his name is um, Richard Dayhoff. So it's mm-hmm. really just about inclu- including everyone no matter what they look like. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes some sense there. I think it, models and the, models and designers will be representing twenty two countries. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right? Okay, 
Yeah, it's not half bad. So in addition to China, Ukraine, and all that stuff. Okay. I'm not too much of a fashion-y guy, you mm-hmm. know? So when it's the catwalk and the fat. How long do those usually last? Do you have any idea? They're, they can be anything from three minutes to about 15, depending on how many designs there are, but they're generally really fast. I wouldn't have thought that. I would mm-hmm. have thought they would have lasted a little bit longer. I don't know. Yeah, I really have no idea about fashion makes or design <laughs> things. Do you happen to know how many of these designers may have... I mean, we say local designers, but has their work been showcased other places or at least the people you know of? Yeah, so Richard Dayhoff has been featured at Paris Fashion Week and New York Fashion Week, which just happened this month, actually. And those sound rather important. They are. They're the big ones. So Chicago Fashion Week is not as well known, but he still thinks it's important to show here because he's from Chicago. Hmm. Yeah, and Chicago is, I think, is it the third biggest city in the um, country? I think so. 2.7 million people? That sounds that sounds about right. I mm-hmm. don't I don't know. I don't have demographics in yeah, front of I'm me. I'm not a numbers person. Yeah, no, neither am I. Numbers are like... <laughs> that's, that's why I took up journalism. I can't do math. Yeah, I was actually in fashion and I switched to journalism. Really? Mm-hmm. So were you designing all that? No, I was in fashion business. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, did you ever want to, you ever want to your be, stuff featured? I wanted to be a fashion journalist. I took one fashion class and it was just, it wasn't, it didn't seem as important to me as politics. So I moved over to that really quick. What did they talk about in that fashion class? I'm actually kind of curious because, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people at Columbia listening right now know about really anything fashion besides not to wear gray sweatshirt and gray sweatpants, mm-hmm. but... They, I took a business class, so it was a lot about where you source fabric mm-hmm. and also ethical sourcing. That's a huge thing in the fashion industry is not using sweatshops to get your materials. So they talked about that, and they also talked about um, supply and demand and basic business stuff like that. It was actually not even super focused on the fashion aspect. Hmm. Interesting. So I know we talked uh, a little bit about your story. Is there any major things we're, we're missing here, or do we think we... We just about got it all. Mm, I think so. Yeah? Okay, I have one or two more things here just from uh, Hector Martel. I feel like is he was, did he help set it up? Was he? Has he been there the whole time, or what, what's his role in this? Yeah, he's been featured in uh, Latino Fashion Week in Chicago. This is his third or fourth year, but this year in particular, he is featuring a collection with So Bridal with Kelly Clark, who is actually a 2015 alumni of Columbia's Fashion Studies Department, and they're doing a bridal collection. We got alumni rolling, alumni. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a thing now. We have alumni rolling all up in this podcast. I didn't mm-hmm. even know that. Hmm. Yeah, it was a surprise. Well, look at us go. I think uh, I think it's about time that we wrap this up. We have Kevin Chiang's song waiting for us after, but we have one finer thing, finer, <laughs> final thing from Martel, so we can take a listen to that bringing more events like Latino Fashion Week and awareness of designers that, you know, we are capable of doing many, many great things, whether design, whether, you know, being artists, uh, you know, one of the nice is uh, art venue. I think we can showcase that we truly can compete with the world out there. So that we can make things for everybody. Like you said, it's for Latinos, for everyone, and everyone includes anyone under the rainbow. And finally, I'd like to welcome Kevin Chongsong into the booth with me. Kevin, back on the podcast again, covering another interesting topic this week. But 
Instead of you telling us what it's about, why don't we throw it over to Courtney Ridgway, the media coordinator at the event you're covering, is that correct? Yep, Courtney Ridgway yeah. is the media coordinator for Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, that's the Forced From Home event, so let's take a listen to that. Forced From Home started in 2016. Um, it started first on, in New York City at Battery Park. And the idea was to create an experience that could take Americans through what it's like to be displaced and what challenges face people that are on the move. So again, that was Courtney Ridgway. And from what I gather, this, you know, forced from home event is like a simulation of what some refugees have to deal with when trying to get to other countries from wherever they may be coming from. Is that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, the whole goal for the whole event was to, the exhibit, it's a traveling exhibit, um, was to, you know, try to do their best to show what refugees have to go through when they're displaced as much as they can because, you know, yeah, you can do we live in Chicago, we have cell phones, stuff like that, and it's a very quick tour, but they do give you a couple, like, stations. Oh, so it's like a station, it's like a, like a, like there's a certain flow to it that you go through. Yeah. So what, what were the stations like? This was in Daily Plaza, right? This was, was in Daily Plaza for the Chicago stop, yeah. Okay, and then, so it had stations, you move from place to place. What was the first station you started at? Uh, first first station simple it's just a it's like a this booth as i would say it's like a big tent with like a like dome a 3D, thing a, a okay. dome type of thing with screens all around they had like a 3d video playing that was more informational that kind of like shows you you know footage of like people being like um in those situations the next stop is uh you actually kind of like live it for a bit for a second you they like they bring you over there they'll show you what they go through they'll have like a you know, like a boat. Some of them have like, you know, gallons of water and like little tents. So it's yeah. so it was a bunch of tents, and it's like trying to simulate everything that would be going on if you were actually trying to to get to the United States from somewhere else. I think uh, Ridgeway said in two thousand six there were thirty three million displaced people. Now there are sixty eight point five million people oh, that are geez, displaced. Yeah. I think the number. I think that technically more than doubled. Yeah, that more than doubled in about twelve ten years ish. Yeah, that's uh, not a long time for things to double at all. Like, uh, we, sh- we sh- you don't have to get into it right now. Yeah, you don't have to get uh, too deep into it. But um, so we mentioned some of the stations, but I know that I think from what I saw on your video, because you can find this on our YouTube at ColumbiaChronicle.com or Columbia Chronicle on YouTube or go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. But there was like t- cards with like water, food. Yeah. Like, what, so what was that? It makes more sense. He's seen the video. But what was going on with that station? Sure. Um, so that was one of the earlier stations where um, each participant, each person who signs up to go through the exhibit, picks up five items. And then there's five stations after that. And you have to leave an item each time you go to a next station, mm-hmm. which kind of simulates like, you know, moving, and moving around. You'll run out of water or you'll have to leave stuff behind because there's not a lot of space on, you know. Yeah. So was the items like water, food? Other than that, was there, like, medical supplies? There were medical supplies. There were cell phones, which was actually really smart. So, you'd, you know, you'd have to tell people you're there um, if you had contacts to where you were going or contacts to back home. Um, so there was, like, stuff like food, water, medicine, clothing, um, cell phones. There's a lot of other stuff. Like, there were, like, stuff that you obviously wouldn't bring. Yeah, a lot, a lot of basic stuff. So it wasn't, like, coloring books, my PlayStation. It was things that, like, the bare necessities that people who are fleeing have. Right. Okay. I saw ukulele. I would have probably picked it up, which would have been dumb, but I would have done it. 
Yeah, well, luckily I'm not in that situation. I don't know what I would have picked, but what were... I mean, so a bunch of people were moving through this. What was their kind of reaction to it when they were picking up these things and, you know, they had to leave their cell phone behind because, oh, well, you can't carry everything. And looking at the rafts and the videos and all the imagery, what were people thinking? I mean, I can only say from what I've seen, but I followed a couple groups that were passing through it. And uh, a lot of them would really pay attention and, um, you know, would take it seriously rather than just Snapchat all the the whole time, Um, which is good. Like, I really like um think that the exhibit worked out for what they wanted it to be to educate people on like what being displaced or being a refugee looks like you know on a surface level yeah i'm pretty sure this event has traveled across the country hasn't it it has east coast west coast but now it's here in chicago or it was or is it still here i'm it's it says in the video but this is the second year for it the first Mm -hmm. half they did like the southwest now they're doing like the midwest sort of yeah, and this was in conjunction with Doctors Without Borders, right? It's put on or, by... Okay, so was it, was it another group and Doctors Without Borders or Doctors Without Borders putting it on? So MSF is, it's like a French name. It's like Medicine de France or something like that. MSF is Doctors Without Borders from what I understand. Oh, so, so it's like, okay, so they put it on. Um, mm-hmm. So we went to the East Coast, West Coast. Now we're here in Chicago. People moving through. It was a bit of, like it was rainy and kind of cold that day, wasn't it? Like it wasn't happy sunshine weather right no no no. it was chilly and it was like overcast and it was windy so not exactly what depending where you're coming from but it wasn't ideal condition so it wasn't like a walk in the sun like hey we're having a little fun here it's like no i'm actually kind of cold yeah while doing this whole event and i'm you know it wouldn't be a walk in the sun in any <laughs> yeah no so i mean i feel like that's is there was a station component but i think there was some part in the video where it wasn't all just like a station where you move through, right? There were just there were some other parts to it. Yeah, there were other yeah. parts to it where there was also they had this whole VR tent that um, I couldn't e- actually capture because you can't capture VR with a camera. But um, there were people who would go there after all the stations and they could kind of explore more and like kind of walk through a simulated version. It's not a simulated version. It's actually like captured in real life mm-hmm. um, version of what a specific like path that a refugee would take so did did the camera crew who filmed that follow a specific i can't i can't guarantee i but it it, so it was like real life people so it wasn't like a simulation okay i think there was one station where they had this like band thing that you'd put like around someone's arm right yeah i can describe that too if you want yeah i mean yeah i think i kind of got it so it was like it was green it was yellow and it was red right and it's like a band you'd go with not like when you get a concert when you have that around your wrist right but it's similar to that to where, like, it goes around your bicep, right? Right. And you pull it to see, and it's for children, and you pull it to see how tight it gets. And depending how tight, you could see what level of malnutrition they were at. Is that? Absolutely. That was exactly just as you described. So there was three levels, green, orange, and red. And what Courtney was saying, you know, historically, you know, back in 2006, a lot of kids or children would be an orange. But nowadays, there are more and more red ones. So right, red is like danger. Green is okay. Orange is like slightly malnutrition. But like when you're in the red zone, you're like deeply malnourished. Yeah, and I mean, I can't really explain it on the radio because this isn't a visual medium. But if you go see the video, red is not very big. It's like the size of about a bottle cap, like where she was pulling it It was it tiny. Tight. That's as yeah. far as it goes. And, and she like, was saying like school children would come here like about the age of when they would like test that on people. And they would like 
you know, I think they put it on the, the children or they'd yeah. show them like the little red man newish part. And they're like, oh, your brothers and sisters like this? And apparently all the kids were like, oh, my God. Not, yeah, yeah, no, that's crazy. So we got a couple minutes here. I'm still trying to unpack all of it because it was a super cool event. So it had the VR tent. It had stations. It had this. Well, like in the end, what was the end? Like, so, you, so we talk about moving through. Right. Because I know, I think one of them said, like, even when you get here, you're still not done. Yeah, yeah. So, so the last part was um, was actually the tent. So, even when you're there, that's still really the beginning of a different journey, even. Yeah, so this only covered the one aspect to it. But, mm. I mean, I feel like it's we're talking about videos sometimes on the podcast. Because, like, it's super cool, but... It's better, I, just, it's, yeah, it's better to watch it. Like, how do I show you that all this stuff is happening? Kevin, I think it's about time that we sign off. So do you have any anything else you want to say about the video? Any good stuff people are missing? Um, I don't have anything to say in the video except for, like, watch it. Yeah? Just, like, watch it. I, I saw that. it once and it was okay. So everyone <laughs> should see it, it once. It was okay. Well, wise words from the man who shot the video. Apparently it's okay. Now, I happen to like it a lot, so I think everyone should take a look. But that is all the time we have for today. Thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus, on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. I've been your host, Blaze Mesa. Until next time.